Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Please Watch This, a film podcast where two film-loving mates with gaps in their viewing history recommend films to each other so they can once and for all answer the question, who has better taste? My name is Hugh Dempsey and joining me as always is my friend and confidant, Sam Blakely. Hello, Sam. Hello, Hugh. How's it going? Uh, not too bad, not too bad. How are you? What's How's your week been? Yeah, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Sta- pretty standard, I would say, pretty standard. Uh, literally nothing to report, I'm afraid, yeah. on that front. It's been a busy week, sort of like news-wise and things like that, Ent- entertainment news-wise, that we sadly lost uh, Monty Python's own Terry Jones. I'm yeah, a bit him. upset about that, if I'm being honest, personally. You know, such a wonderful uh, comedian and creator of comedy content, not just on film and television, but also musically and things like that. So, yeah, he lost his battle with dementia, which was pretty upsetting. But, you know, his legacy lives on in all his great comedy. I think he's got a lot to be proud yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, and I don't know if it's gone out yet, but we talked in the week about how Graham Chapman's... It wasn't actually his funeral service, but the kind of... Um, a few days after the sort of memorial-type thing uh, that was filmed and, and put out, uh, just how entertaining and funny that was. Uh, you know, I do wonder if they're going to do something similar now. Because if they could be that jovial about a man dying in his mid-40s, maybe they could be even more funny about somebody dying in his late, late 70s. Hmm. Yeah, perhaps we, we will see. We'll see what... Uh... We'll see what he says this time, John Cleese. Because <laughs> it was very mm. funny what he said last time. Um, <laughs> the first man to say fuck at a, uh, what was it? <laughs> at a funeral. <laughs> was he? Or uh, <laughs> something like that. What was it? First man to say fuck at a, at a televised funeral service, I think. Or a, <laughs> a televised memorial. Mm. Well, there you go. It's, yeah, it's brilliant. If you haven't seen it, listener, um, yeah. go on YouTube. Graham Chapman's funeral, really, really, really good, and a really moving rendition of um, "Always Look on the Bright Side of Life," which I loved from the film. But after, after having watched that, when I watch the film, I hear that song. It does make me well up every single time. <laughs> yeah, it's a great song as well. It is. Mm-hmm. And also, speaking of old stages, um, personally for me, this week has seen the uh, premiere of the Star Trek show Picard oh, which uh, have you seen it? yeah I watched the first episode it was amazing <laughs> <laughs> now are you saying that as a fanboy oh, no. objectively I'm truly a fanboy of, of it to be honest I'm, yeah. I'm a secret Trek fan as I always call myself I'm not one of these people who goes around mm. and goes no do you like Star Trek to people what was your <laughs> favourite the original series or the next like, gen you, you've, you've asked me that a few times yeah um, but I've known yeah, see, but I've for known me, nearly I, 25 I, years <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the odd uh, original series Star Trek with our good friend Ben. Hello, Hi, Ben. Ben. Um, we know you're listening. Aside from that, I've only I've not really really seen any Picard and uh, wait, who's the other with Picard? Um, what? So you've got you've got Shatner, obviously Kirk. You've got Picard. You've got Kirk Cisco. And Spock. You've got Janeway. Cisco. You've now got um, the new series where oh, you've got Archer from Enterprise. You've also got the new. I thought you said you weren't one of those. Trekkies. This is, <laughs> just this wanted to interminable. Uh, what's the new one called from Discovery? Oh, what's her name? Spock uh, sister. That's a, that's actually a good God. show. I quite like that. Um, See, this is it. Just feel it's like one of those things. There's just too much there that you didn't never really dip your toes in. Which brings us quite nicely to this week's film. It actually. does indeed. Um, there's a, there's a lot there. Do you want to tell us about this week's film? Right. So this week's film, as uh, astute listeners from last week will know, is uh, the 1986 sequel to Alien. In entertainingly 
you know, entitled Aliens. You see, did you see what they yeah, did? Yeah, confusingly, more difficult to Google. Um, I did. Yeah, it's surprised. It was released a lot later than I thought after the first one, seven years yeah. later. So, do you want to hear an interesting story, Sam, about this film? Always, yeah. always. So you, you know, James Cameron's a pretty quirky guy, isn't he? I've heard of him. Yeah, yeah everyone's. You know, he's he's known as being a bit feisty sometimes and uh, being a bit <laughs> a bit different. So. Obviously, James Cameron, he'd heard that uh, Fox were thinking about making a sequel to uh, the, you know, to Alien. And he rang him up and went, I'm interested in coming in and making, you know, this sequel. And I think at the time he'd he'd made one film and, you know, I think he was known for, he was producing Terminator at the time. So he phones up and says, I really like to do this. And the Fox executive goes, okay, we'll give you a few minutes of our, you know, of our time. And James Cameron goes, I just need 30 seconds. So imagine if you will, you're sat, you know, you're a Fox executive, you sat in your little glass office, you know, playing with your 1980s corporate toy on your desk and what, the Newton's cradle. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you hear a little knock on the door. James Cameron walk. Listen to my seat into my uh, cassette. Exactly. Walkman. You turn that off, you know, you don't want to be rude, but you're smoking heavily because, you know, it's indoors <laughs> in the 80s. I'm doing cocaine off the strip, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It is the 80s. It is indeed. You know, what else did you do with cocaine and strippers in the 80s? Um, so you sat there and you know in walks James Cameron with a little whiteboard in tow and he writes in big block letters on the whiteboard he writes the word alien and then without warning he writes the letter S next to the letter N (laughs) And is this based on true events? This is, is true look, this is one of these. Apo- I don't know if it's true, but it might be one of these apocryphal Hollywood legends. But you know, as they said in um, Twenty Four Hour Party People, and you know, a famous saying, you know, mm. when you've got the choice between printing the reality and the legend, print the legend. And yeah. so, then Cameron takes his pen and he puts two lines through the S's, make through the S, <laughs> making it a dollar sign. Oh, and that was his pitch for, alien, nice. apparent, for aliens, apparently. He, well, he knows his audience. He does. <laughs> he knows who he's pitching to in that case. I mean, imagine how big you think your balls would feel walking out of that pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a sense of that uh, yeah. <laughs> myself. Uh, yeah. 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 So that was it. That was effectively voice. his pitch what, for the What film. had James Cameron done at that point? So he'd not... The first Terminator had not quite come no, out? No, I right? don't... I, so... It it either not come out or it was in pre-production, um, and he'd worked on various things. And I think there was one film where he'd end up taking over the directorial duties. Um, I think of a Piranha film. I think like Piranha Three. <laughs> yeah, God. Uh, the the Sharknado. Of its indeed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, James Cameron had done a bit of work, and he was he was kind of known, and you know he was known as somebody who's good at very good at special effects and. That's kind of where he got his in in Hollywood and things like that, uh, working uh, in special effects departments and art departments on various films. Um, yeah, so that was the pitch they accepted. <laughs> um, <laughs> Here's ten. Wait, I think the first Alien cost ten million. I don't know how much this. Eighteen cost. million was, was this that? one. Eighteen yeah. million. It's not a lot of money. I know there's inflation involved and so on, but it's not a lot of money for a big, you know, Alien. Sci-fi futuristic combat film. Yeah, it doesn't seem it, does it? Even by today's standards, uh, especially well, especially really? by today's standards. But even back then, but yeah, apparently they could. That 
that was enough to make a film of this spectacle. I mean, there was a comparison. To make a bunch of models and a lot of backdrops. I mean, a comparison I saw online was uh, Superman 3 had come out on the exact same budget, and that just looks hokey and crap. <laughs> right, yeah. So, yeah. So that's basically what he did. Uh, he got back Sigourney Weaver, you know, famous from the first one. Um, got in Lance Hendrickson, uh, got in uh, Michael Bean, uh, got in, you know, pretty famous-ish. You know, Michael Bean had been in Terminator, Lance Hendrickson had also been in Terminator. But, you know, only, other than... Sig- getting his buddies in. Yeah, getting yeah. his mates in, as you do, you know. So it was like people who were starting to be known f- f- in the film world, but not... You know, sort of. Obviously, um, you've got the, one, the Bill wonderful Paxton. Bill Paxton, who's at this point not—he's not quite famous yet. So he's—he takes a—he's in this quite a lot of this film, but I think, yeah, I wish he was in it a bit more. To be honest, he does not—not not to mention uh, man who plays Boggs in Shawshank Redemption. Which one's Boggs? I can't remember. He's the guy with the scar on his face. What's his character? Is he one of the one? three um, sisters? Mark Ralston. That could well be it. Let's assume I have literally no idea who he is in this film. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's Drake. Oh, he's Drake. Oh, is that Drake? Mark Rosson. Oh, right, Drake. okay. Yeah, right. He looks different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he looks exactly the same. He just, well, he does. I think he's his hair bleach blonde in this film. Yeah, he's the one who's best mates with Vasquez, isn't he, essentially? He's the one who, who's that's shooting right. them as yeah, they get right. in the, um, into the car, into the little tank thing and dies. Yeah, he's there to be a, just a... Vaguely hot-headed, just, you know, standing... Yeah, guy who dies. Yeah. So, would you like a brief outline of the plot to this film? Yeah, give us... Give us... Where does it sit after Alien? And, you know, what's the what's the plot of this here film? So, basically, with this one... Ellen Ripley is rescued by a deep uh, salvage team after being in hypersleep for 57 years. This sounds like it's... This sounds like you're reading it. Have you... Is I, this your this summary? This is me committed this to memory, somewhere? mate. <laughs> so much that it's word for it's, word uh, just you read it from your own brain do you know what it's just quicker to read <laughs> some things out sometimes when it comes to this section of the podcast um, organic so she's been rescued after 57 years of being in hypersleep and basically what happens is that on that moon that they went to in the first film there's a colony there and they've lost contact with the colony so the company that hired her in the first place to go out to this moon they um they basically ask her to go back and find out what's happened and she ends up going back to help what she believes to destroy the aliens because obviously she's dealt with one before and, you know, is is rightfully so terrified of them and wants to (laughs) eradicate them. Just when you just when you think you're they're out. Oh gosh, I'm getting my words wrong. Just when you think you're you're out, they pull you right back yeah. in. Yeah, and yes, yeah, so she ends up going back to LV LV two four two six as it's called in this film, or mm-hmm. LV twenty six as some characters call it. She goes back. <laughs> um, turns out that perhaps the company man Paul Rice's character Burke. So untrustworthy. Yeah, I mean, he just looks untrustworthy, doesn't he? From the f- his collar, it's just his collar. I know that's what they're all doing at the time. But I just think, oh, he's from 1986. Yeah. <laughs> he's the cokehead businessman yeah, yeah. that we were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I don't trust the word he's saying. Yeah, it turns out he has ulterior motives for wanting to go there. Mm. He was the one who sent the people to investigate the alien ship on the planet. Yeah, so what ends up happening is these aliens get out and um, 
it's a fight for survival against the aliens and the marines that have gone in and Sigourney Weaver and during the course of this fight they find a little girl called Newt who's the only survivor of the whole um, of the whole alien attack and um, a lot of the plot revolves around them them trying to survive and then Sigourney Weaver's character Ripley trying to rescue Newt from uh, what turns out spoiler alert giant fucking alien queen (laughs) (laughs) and yeah there must be something laying these eggs we haven't seen. Yeah, what uh, Hick says? Oh, like um, like an like an ant nest. I think he calls it or an ant hive. <laughs> yeah. and someone corrects him, <laughs> and he goes, "Whatever, man. You know what I mean." <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So do you want to know why I like this film so much? Yeah, tell us what... I mean, are you a huge Alien fan generally? Um, I wouldn't be a huge Alien fan generally, but I have I have a special place in my heart for this film, to be honest with you. I saw it when I was very young. I think I was nine years old. So I, I just so with some films that you saw when you were a kid, you don't really have that much of a memory of the first time you watched it, especially under the age of ten. But I very distinctly remember sitting down and watching this film uh, with a friend of mine who would not stop going on about Alien for like <laughs> six months before I watched it so I eventually so I eventually said right well do you want to come to mine and bring it with you and we'll watch it so I have a very distinct memory of sitting down in my living room with my friend watching Aliens when I was about nine years old in the middle of the day on a Saturday afternoon <laughs> why my mum let <laughs> the I- ideal scenario to God knows it, why yeah. my mum let us watch this film <laughs> she was I think that's been a theme of a lot of our episodes so when did you first see The Shining oh I don't know six <laughs> Yeah. with my mum <laughs> you know I, I remember her being wonderfully she was responsible in the house she was in parenting. the kitchen in the next room making dinner or something and, <laughs> or you know going about yeah. a day and I remember asking if we wanted sandwiches and there's you know people running going you know game over man <laughs> you know <laughs> she must have been like it's blood is acid it's burnt my face yeah, off <laughs> but you know it's not giving us any you know side effects or I mean there's the there's the night tremors and the, you know the weird trauma and anxiety <laughs> yeah, yeah. aside from yeah, that my fear of my, these in, films in, are not my, uncontrollable fear of the dark and yeah, <laughs> yeah but you know who hasn't got yeah that? exactly who didn't watch Listen, these films when they were got a fear small the children growing up <laughs> yeah has anyone actually stuck to the censorship labels their whole life I tell you what though I think I've noticed amongst some people I know who have kids that they're a lot less willing to watch their kids watch stuff that they shouldn't really watch I think in the 90s really? parents didn't really give a shit <laughs> this was we're talking pre-seatbelt here, I think, and probably, I don't know what, pre-phone lines? I mean, I still think it's a bit over the top for a kid over the age of eight to have a booster seat. Just, just me, personally. <laughs> yeah, it's all these guys. I do wonder what I'll be like, actually, as a parent. I I assume I'll let Lily watch things from quite a young age. I, mean, I was playing Grand Theft Auto Five. Uh, while she was in the room today, admittedly with the sound right down, because you don't realise just how much swearing and end words there are in yeah. GTA Five until you watch it, until you play it with a three-year-old. Um, so she did see, you know, people getting hit by cars and things, but we just laughed. I don't know. I think it depends. Oh, look, we're not. Let's. I don't want to venture into this territory. I think there are some <laughs> things that, you know. By and large, I think you take it on a child-by-child basis. If your kid's afraid of a kid's cartoon where something vaguely scary happens, then you know what? Maybe letting them watch a film like Alien at nine years old isn't good right for them. (laughs) Probably a mistake. Where if somebody who's not really phased by these things and understands that it's it's entertainment and, you know, that these things aren't real, then yeah, (laughs) that's the way I look at it. 
Yeah, I think she'd she'd be scared of the facehuggers because they look like spiders, and she's scared of spiders. And I blame Peppa Pig because we were fine with spiders. And then there's an episode of Peppa Pig where they go, "Ah, oh, spiders!" And then by the end, the message is, "You shouldn't, you don't need to be scared of spiders." But I think the children are learning to scream, "Ah, oh, spiders!" By that show, they're not learning a moral message about not to be scared by them. They're just learning, "Ah, oh, spiders!" And then suddenly they are scared of spiders. It's really bad. <laughs> Anyway, that's a thing. That's a I also think podcast. children don't tend to pick up on things they don't understand sometimes. Mm, so when, yeah, yeah, like when there's bits in films that you know are genuinely for adults, that and they talk about things that are adult related, then the kids just, it just it, yeah, it goes right over right the head. This, they only, I think it's we pro- back project our understanding of things onto children. Where if somebody's, I think so. You know, yeah. if somebody's, you want, you can watch the same thing. Like we said with Boyhood, actually, two people could watch that of different ages and just see two different films. They're not even picking up on the things that that the others are picking yeah. up on. So why I like this film essentially is it's it's exciting. Like it's tense. Oh my god! I watched. I hadn't watched it for maybe ten years, and I sat down and watched it yesterday. And oh my lord, this film is tense. From pretty <laughs> much from the moment they get to LV two four six or four two six, or they're just they're just you know you know obviously because you know the aliens are coming. And obviously, I'd seen it before, but you're just waiting for that first encounter and. Yeah, it, and the bit when they go into the hive and they're told that you know they can't le- use the live ammunition because it might it destroy mm. the power plant. To the bit where Ripley's in the medical center and the face of is let loose. To the bit at the end where she's fighting it on the um, Solaco. Um, just and, and and for anybody who hasn't seen it, they've also got a tracking device so they can see moving objects coming towards them. So there's a lot of it's twenty meters away, it's fifteen meters away, and they're just stood there with guns. Yeah, you know there is a lot of a lot of that. Yeah, because there is a long time when they land on LV four two six, they don't land and then are immediately greeted by aliens. They are in the compound, the colony, for a long time before they have actually any contact. Yeah, yeah, it must be a good twenty minutes actually. Yeah, and then they see a couple in jars. That move. Yeah, they they encounter the face yeah, don't they? And it's it just yeah. keeps ratcheting it up that tension. And then when the, when they finally the film does break, and you get all the action, it just it's in your face. You know, it's you know it's complete overkill. You know, one guy gets set on fire. There's all the cartridges <laughs> that have been confiscated to stop them from destroying the place explode and kill a couple of people that way. People get abducted by the aliens. You know, you see it through this. You see it from the point of view of the marines in the nest, but you also see it from the point of view of the people in the APC who are like in a little command centre on that. So they're seeing the action. I think that's one of the smart things they did with this film is they showed the action in the cam, you know, from other characters' point of view and their their fear and reaction to these aliens. You know, there's the Gorman character who's meant to, you know, he's a green, you know, he's a greenhorn lieutenant, but... You know, he's meant to be this colonial marine who's, you know, who's meant to have training, but he just melts at the soonest, you know, as soon as the danger starts manifesting itself, doesn't it? He starts visibly sweating about 20 minutes into the film and he doesn't stop until he's... By the way, there's spoilers in this, so I don't know if yeah. you mentioned that. I think I've already spoiled it, to <laughs> um, be honest. <laughs> yeah, we are Look, well past that. it's a 34-year-old film. I know that some people mm. here who listen to this aren't... 44-year-old film. Thir- oh, sorry, 34. Yeah. I was thinking 76 for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there might yeah, be people who haven't watched this 
just go out and watch it. It's good fun. It's, <laughs> it is fun film. There's a lot of wisecracks in it. You know, they, there is a lot of cliches in it. I think that, but there's a reason these cliches existed because these films exist. They wouldn't be cliches if it wasn't for these characters. Do you know, that kind of a way. It's like they got there first. Um, what else do I love about it? I like the aesthetic, that kind of military industrial complex, you know, rust and bone sort of aesthetic, you know, the metallic, um, dirtiness to a lot of it um you know the you know there's the you know the pathetic fallacy with they're on this awful planet with terrible weather and lightning and just dark and it yeah it's just really well made some for the for its time it must have been some spectacular because now it can seem a little bit you know underwhelming but i bet in 86 it just looked amazing yeah and i mean it's not that long after after the original Star Wars yeah. trilogy, really, and they are doing some some space um, travel and some similarish effects, I suppose, to what happened there. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those where they built upon the world of which was set up in the first Alien film. You know, this is perhaps maybe the you know James Cameron has perhaps made two of the best sequel films ever in this and Terminator Two. Do you know how hard it is to make sequels and to make them of such a high quality is a testament to his filmmaking abilities, quite honestly. It's, I mean, Terminator 2 is one of those films, sequels, that is genuinely at least three times better than the original. Yeah, I think it's easy to get down on James Cameron because he's he comes across as quite narcissistic, a bit you know, self-important, and maybe his type of filmmaking has become a bit jaded because it's been so popular for so long and since he hasn't really made anything since 2009 with a film which made a lot of money but maybe narratively and didn't quite do what audience wanted it to do it's um, does does anyone really like Avatar? does anyone rate it in their top 10 films? no surely not I mean there must be somebody out there but uh, I don't know what's, what else is in their top ten, if that's there. I think there's just a bit of lazy writing in Avatar. That's the only thing that really annoys me about that film, is they call this mineral unobtainium, as if... It's so stupid. Yeah. It's so stupid. It's so old, you know, it's such a well-worn story and so yeah. old. So what I think you'll like um, about this film, um, I don't know necessarily if you'll like the action, but I think if it's, if it's done in the right manner and it's built up with the right tension, then you'll enjoy it. The plot's... The plot's pretty simple once you get your head around it. There's a lot of jargon in this film, I found. But once you you go, right, they're trying to survive. They need to get off this planet before the aliens kill them or the reactor goes thermonuclear. Then that's it. Will they get out of this situation? Well, it's been around for 30 years, over 30 years. You know, I'm quite pop culturally adept, so I'm sure Ripley survives. But beyond that, I'm not entirely sure what happens. You know, that kind of a way. So... Mm. Um, maybe what you might not like about it it might seem a bit the characters might seem a bit 2D uh, plot holes may abound in a lot of places maybe poor characters decisions Um, you know one I noticed is well there's there's two I noticed with this and I don't want to steal your thunder if you've already thought of this one yourself but one of them is why was Ripley still working for this company that in the first film basically said that the crew were expendable and tried to get these aliens, you know, discover if there was any alien specimens on this moon, um, regard despite all other, you know, concerns. Um, why you would still work for that company is beyond me, even after, you know, 57 years in hypersleep. Uh, secondly, so 
Do you remember when we watched um, Raiders of the Lost Ark? I do. Uh, and you, yeah, oh yeah, you really liked it. And do you remember how it was? Oh well, the Nazis would have died anyway bec- if Indiana oh, yeah, Jones yeah, hadn't yeah. involved himself. He was essentially in- inconsequential to the ending yeah. of the film. Well, apart from them saving Newt, these Marines—if they had turned up, what eight hours later, the threat would have gone. Because the because the yeah. reactor is going to explode, right? And I don't yeah. think did, yeah, unless yeah. they caused it, which I don't think they did, it, or it's not implicit. I'm not clear on that. I assume just because they said, "Well, don't shoot around the reactor, the cooling area," and then a lot of bullets were fired around that area. I, I assume they caused. Yeah, it. it's it's not overtly implied, but it's he's like, "Oh, do you see that? You know, you know." She goes, "It's very beautiful, Bishop." But what am I looking at? Um, you know that yeah. gas expunging itself from the reactor. So I just assumed that it had gone like this, was going like this anyway, because the maintenance hadn't been kept up on these things. Mm, um, yeah, but it would make sense. So maybe you could argue either way for that one. But if it is, was go, if it was inevitable, then they they died for no reason, <laughs> which I kind of <laughs> find a little bit amusing. Um, yeah, maybe it's just... I think maybe you might just find it it's just a bit of an old film with old and tired cliches. Um, but other than that, I hope you liked it. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. Okay, so coming up after the break, we're going to get Sam's thoughts on Aliens. See you after the break. Welcome back to Please Watch This. So now we've got what Sam thinks of Aliens. So Sam, what did you think of Aliens? Or what did you like? Tell me what you liked about the film, first of all. All right, will do. Um, the main thing that I really liked is that I had a lot of fun watching it. It is a really fun film. It's, it's silly fun, um, but it is fun. You know, like you said, it's, it's very tense. Um, there are long periods of searching in dark corridors and really great use of silence when they first enter the colony, um, when they first enter the sort of compound. Um, so it's really fun, especially for somebody who really doesn't know how this turns out other than I know that Ripley survives because of video essays and things that I've watched. Um, I know that she survives. I actually thought that a couple of characters would survive that didn't um, because I thought that in the next Aliens film... The, one of the one of the problems that people had was that they were killed off screen, and it just said it in like on a text on a bit of text near the start of the film, like so and so and so and so died, uh, like deceased. And I thought that that was um, is it uh, is it Hicks, uh, Bill Paxton's character? Um, oh, is he Hudson? He's, Hicks, he's Hudson. He? Yeah, he's, he's Hudson. Hudson. And Vasquez. I honestly thought that that was the two characters that survived this film. But then at the start of the next film, were killed off without even being given a, a scene. So that was a good surprise in that sense, actually, that I knew some things, but actually thought I knew other things that didn't turn out to be true. So that was that was good. Yeah, you know? So it's Newt and Hicks that survive along with Scorny Weaver in this film. Right. And then is it, do, do Newt and Hicks, are they both dead before the film? Like... Now, I've never seen Aliens 3 because I hear it oh, right, shite. Okay. Right, okay. that's, so when you asked earlier... You know, am I particularly a fan of the Aliens series? I'm a bit like a lot of people. I like the concept of these scary, you know, murder alien yeah. machine things. Um, but I think I saw, I've seen, I've seen, obviously I've seen the first two and I've seen Resurrection, which I wish I hadn't seen <laughs> in hindsight. Um, it's funny you should then, mention I, earlier, have actually. Seen, um, have you seen The Covenant? No, um, 
What's the first? I, so I've seen Prometheus. So I've seen Prometheus. them all except for Alien Three. Right, but what I know was the big problem people have with Prometheus. It's just a bit shit. Right, just like, sorry. Made, I don't know. It like... just it it had. I think its trailer over overhyped it, right. and that you know, there's. I mean, for me, there's a scene where the characters are running away from this ship that's collapsed. Basically, it turns out they wake up these engineers from... Um, going off a bit topic here, but they wake up the engineers from their hypersleep, essentially. Go to... It turns out the guy who owns the company, Wayland Jutani, or Mr. Wayland, was actually on the ship with them all along. He gets taken to see this engineer. He then goes to... It, it basically heavily suggests that humans were created by these engineers and he goes to see them and asks them oh you know what's the meaning of life essentially why did you create us you know basically the idea is it's Ridley Scott going oh these are gods to us so here's how we would approach it Mm -hmm. and it's uh, these this engineer looks at him picks him up and just smashes him on the floor and he's like a he's like a hundred and twenty year old man essentially you know (laughs) who's been kept alive with like advanced medical science and the idea is that we're the disease or we're the we're like this along with the aliens we're one of these creatures that was created to to destroy I think is the is the inference so through extended logic instead of this so basically they see this um, engineer jump in the ship and go to fly it off and there's like a few crew members left and they realise that well they say they realise they I I don't at no point does the engineer go I'm going to Earth to destroy it but the logic is that this engineer's been woken up realised that the humans are a threat so obviously his natural recourse is to jump in a ship and fly off to Earth to destroy the Earth or to destroy all humans which is the suggestion in this film so uh, the main character uh, Numi Rapace's character who's name, I can't remember off the character's name, she tells Idris Elba's captain of this ship to fly into this ship to stop it from going to Earth. So they like suicide themselves into this ship. And as it's crashing down, it's like a, because obviously it's like a horseshoe shape, it lands on like the broad side of it. And then it slowly tumbles like downwards, like it's landing on one side. So the natural thing when an object long but not very wide is falling towards you <laughs> is obviously to run parallel to it <laughs> it's like that bit in Jurassic Park where they're climbing down the tree and the car's falling and they don't just move to the side they yes just it's climb the reverse down, of really. that yeah instead of climbing to the side instead of running to the side they run and you see it them running towards it and um, what's, her, what's the actress called um, oh, what's her name <laughs> Charlie's Theron's character who's she's really good in this she's like a really badass character she's like Machiavellian and all this sort of thing and um, she just dies like a dickhead she just gets crushed by this oh, thing really? and it's really unsatisfying yeah it's yeah I think you know like I said you can watch lots of things online about how bad that film is um, it, it's one of those where it's really ambitious and it fails awfully right where a film like this <laughs> is very ambitious and succeeds I see. Um, I mean, it's possible I'll watch them in the future. I, I really don't know because it's one of those where you know that you're set up to be disappointed by. It'd be like telling somebody now to watch Game of Thrones uh, if they had never seen it, knowing that 
a hundred and whatever hours of viewing down the line, they're going to be sorely disappointed. <laughs> so, yeah, the Alien Covenant cool. was just a nothing film. It was again, right. I think the big criticism is these characters, they just, they're set up to be, they're all like doctors or, you know, geologists of like, you know, maybe not, they might not be doctors, but they're in a the specialised field. So they're all like meant to be smart people and they just make really dumb decisions. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you know, I probably won't watch it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so I, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I really like this film um, in, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in the sense that it was, yeah, it was silly fun. Like you say, there was a lot, there's a lot of things in it that are now cliche. It's very 80s, it's very of the time. There's a lot of parallels with a lot of combat films of the time in terms of the sort of stock characters and so on. But, you know, somebody who's not really a stock character, maybe now is a, is a bit more... Um, cliche is, is Ripley she really stands out as being a strong female badass lead I really can't think of many more from the 80s I can th- think of loads more recently because it's clearly a conscious decision to green light more of those films now but I mean I don't know can you think of another female heroine protagonist that's this badass that's again the only one who maybe become... Halloween yeah maybe um, not, yeah I think Jamie Lee Curtis maybe in Halloween Maybe not directly in the eighties, but you know this oh, character. Lin- well, Lin- Linda Hamilton, sorry from the Terminator. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. but in T one, she's not. She's True. she's not. Yeah. She's the heroine, isn't she? She's like the damsel in distress. It's, a, it's in the second one where she's the the where badass. She all the chin ups and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 She's mm. although I mean I must admit because I saw Terminator two, I thought when I went back and watched Terminator one, I was shocked at how different the t- the character is in between the two right. films. Right. So, yeah, she's kind of... I don't know if it's... I like, obviously, I like Sarah Connor in Terminator 2, but I don't know if I would have found her jarring at the time if I'd watched... If I was like, oh, is this this is this really the same character from the first one? But and just a, a bit more f- world-weary. And- There's a couple of the flaws from, T- from Terminator 1 that are in this, um, particularly the cheesy romance. I mean, there's that che- really cheesy love scene in Terminator 1 that should never have seen the light of day and it, it threatens to do that a bit here it, it's almost like dire straits come on in the background and, and so on <laughs> you know there's a bit of that between Ripley and um, Hicks um, and it was a bit yeah it was a bit 80s Jim, uh, James Cameron uh, but what I really like as well is even though they're sort of these stock characters, the great thing about them being these stock characters, or what seem now to be stock 80s characters is that you you recognise them and therefore you don't need lots and lots of backstory. You do. You see Vasquez, short hair, and she starts doing pull-ups, and you go, "Okay, I get that character." You know, and you see them, and you go, "You, you really understand who they are," yeah. um, which really helps. There's that and great it, line to her, isn't there, where uh, where Hudson <laughs> goes, "Mistaken for a man," <laughs> and he goes, "No, have you?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you go, "Okay, I immediately know who he is. I immediately know who she is," and they're really active protagonists because they're so cocky and so unprofessional they, these are supposed to be like really trained marines but they're not they're not de-individuated you know they're really they're like kids who couldn't sit straight in school have found their calling um, yeah. so it makes them really active you know they get to the the colony they get to the compound kind of area they realise right well this is 
awful and you know there's definitely aliens around and they just go forward they just keep going forward and they can't wait um to go on these missions uh other than bill paxton when he says you know how do you get out of this chicken shit uh mission um, yeah, chicken shit outfit yeah chicken shit outfit that's right and uh you know I, I do like that that they just charge ahead and it's been a, a theme in a few of the th- my reviews of films is that i don't like films where the where the protagonists are you know reactive and I think that's quite a common problem in films Uh, but they're very very proactive in this one and obviously Ripley she's a mixture really she's very reluctant to go and you're right in terms of a plot hole it is weird that she would agree to this mission but I kind of do you know what I've almost never seen plot holes the first time I watch a film I'm not very smart when I'm watching a film I go along with it I'm kind of really impressed sorry not when you're watching a film I mean, every other context, I'm really smart. That goes without saying. But I'm very impressionable. You know, I'll just go along with the film and what it's saying. It's only the second time I watch it, or when I think about it, or or more usually when I watch nerd writer talk about it or something, or Cinema Sins, then I go, oh yeah, I did realise that problem at the time, subconsciously. Um, so yeah, the, but you know, I did think, this is Aliens 2. She's not not going to go on the mission so <laughs> yeah it would be I, just I it'd be that, a bit of a boring film if it was like yeah, no i'm not going it. burke bye and, and it's just can you imagine her that, working the, in the film cargo. where she doesn't go and <laughs> but there you go and you never see her again for the rest of the film it would it wouldn't be so you kind of go you know what this oh, film there has, has been films that. like that where characters from a successful first film then are briefly in the sequel but because of whatever contractual reasons or filming schedule you know scheduling conflicts they're not in the film like for the rest of the film they can be on the poster and they can do a bit of the the promotion for it but they're not actually properly in it and you know and I just thought you know what this film has a difficult job whoever's writing it they've got a difficult job of getting it so that Ripley's going to go on another mission because we have to have her she's our protagonist and I thought they did an okay job in trying to explain it I mean Burke is not trustworthy in the slightest so I didn't believe him for you know for a moment but I get it because he's 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 pushing her buttons when he's saying you know oh yeah it's it's a noble job what you're doing you know um, just working kind of manual labour there and you know wouldn't it be more wouldn't wouldn't you rather be part of it essentially so she's reluctant but then then she's very active when it when it comes to it really um, and her performance is just brilliant she's a you know real badass she's not dolled up I mean it le- I was going to say it doesn't really leer at her but it does put her in her underwear more than you'd expect um, as did the first one but it I think doesn't, there's you know, just out of interest so which cut of the film did you see? Because we were talking off air that um, the one that I had seen was the director's cut, which is kind of like the standard version now. That's so I've right. Just, I, so, so I saw the one that's available on uh, Amazon Prime Video um, and it's shorter. So it's two hours 17. I think the director's cut is about two and two and 35 or something like that. Yeah, I think it's 243, so I, I think it was. That's right. It. So I don't know so you saw missed, the original actually. cut. See, I, that's the, I knew that might happen when you watch it on Amazon. That's annoyed yeah. me now because the director's cut is the better version because there's a bit more character work. Did you know anything about her daughter then in all of this? No. No, brilliant. So yeah, you know, you were talking about cheesy like romance bit. There's a bit just before uh, Ridley goes into uh, the nest Ridley. to... Not Ridley, that's the director of the first <laughs> film. Uh, when Ripley, I think I did that earlier actually, uh, Ripley goes to go into the nest and um, Hicks has been injured and she basically asks him what his first name is. And he's like, my name's Dwayne. And she's like, Ellen. Right. <laughs> Which yeah, I could have done without I'm, that I'm bit. Glad, Yeah, I'm glad I didn't see that bit because it feels so tacked on. And he is completely an 80s 
not a pinup, but like an eighties love interest to her kind of yeah. character. I just did not was not did not care for that at all. So yeah, you missed a couple of character moments, but you also missed she's basically dealing with finding out that her obviously she has a daughter who was only eleven years old when she went missing, and that her daughter subsequently passed away. Um, right. Uh, a few years, a couple of years earlier. Um, so Newt is obviously the sort of adopted yeah, daughter. It, At the yeah. end, she calls her mummy. You know that that sort of thing. They're, yeah. they're looking for each other. Of the entire film, that was the only bit that I didn't like was when Newt goes mummy to her, and I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. it's very it's, jarring because it's like the, the phrase on the nose can be difficult to explain and define. That was really it, wasn't it? It's so like, you've known this woman like. 11 hours <laughs> and it's like we get it we get it's a mother daughter connection at this point because they've had so much intimacy and you know she was tucking her up in bed and, and talking to her like a parent talks to a daughter you know to a child um, and we got it we didn't need her to shout mummy <laughs> yeah. we understood that, that they were they were adopting each other at that point yeah it was a bit yeah it was very on the nose I didn't like it yeah so the bits you missed was her dealing with her her losing a daughter and right. basically the character's got PTSD understandably so yeah. the more well, that's it. When, that... when she first sees a uh, um, uh, what do you call it like a, a chest burster um, on one of the you know yeah. colonists who was in a cocoon she can't react she just has a sort of episode doesn't she she, got, she has a, a flashback essentially you would though wouldn't you <laughs> I think that's fair yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so what didn't you like about this film? Well, um, I put it out on uh, our socials um, to you know ask people what they what they thought of this film. And a, a Facebook friend of mine and a very talented author called Kieran West, I would recommend his books, particularly Boys of Summer. By the way, a little plug for him there, but he doesn't need it. He's successful. Um, he said it's like if someone remade Alien for stupid people, and I agree with that. Um, I think because what often happens with a sequel is an original is. Um, an interesting film that has a theme and a moral message and something that it's exploring and then a sequel goes well let's take the same characters and largely the same plot points and we'll just do it again and it sort of doesn't matter if the theme is the same or not or if there is a theme and I I just thought that the theme wasn't it, it wasn't a strong enough thing in this film it was a really enjoyable film and there was you know peril and there was all kinds of problems and at some bits you thought they were rescued and then the the ship crashes and all that sort of stuff but yeah there wasn't a there wasn't a consistent thing it's like the first alien is a lot like the thing uh, john carpenter's the thing which we're going to watch for a future episode um and it's about who you can trust and who you can't trust and there's little bits of that in, in here and, and there was bits of this film where I thought it was going to get a lot more interesting in the sense that it's, there was little hints that they were going to realise that the aliens weren't just this killing uh, species, they were just trying to live their lives and so when she's in the nest with the big mama alien, there was a moment where she seemed to understand that this was a mother looking after her children and Ripley's there with Newt, and I thought, this could be really powerful. I thought there was going to be some empathy there, where she would just back off and leave her and just think, well, you know, this I'm just going to leave them where they are, because they're not a danger. They can't fly away and, and, you know, invade Earth or whatever. I'll just leave them. But then she just blasts all the eggs and just destroys it because that's a more interesting set piece that sets up a chase and more more shooting and stuff to them 
escape. And I, I would say that was... that's probably the more intelligent decision from Ripley to do that because she knows that more people like Burke will try and harvest these aliens because they'll no, see it, the, it, yeah. the potential for biological warfare essentially it, it's it, it would make i mean you know you would if you had a big flame flower flamethrower and you could destroy all those things then you should but that's sort of not the point in the same way i keep going back to gone girl i would have found it much more interesting if ben affleck's character had actually liked rosamund pike's character's psychopathy and weirdness and actually been convinced by it it's a stupid decision that the you know sensible decision is just leave the country and change your name and grow a beard um, <laughs> like in this case of course it's more sensible if you've got a flamethrower and a big machine gun of course just shoot everything but actually i just thought it would have been much more interesting if there was if it had kept to the theme that it had somehow that it was implying if part of the theme is her regaining a daughter um, and the explosion, the alienist stuff is just the the set dressing for that theme or that journey or whatever. Then it would just make a lot more sense for her conclusion to be, I get this now. These aliens, uh, they're just they're just their own species. In the same way that um, a lot of the most interesting kind of zombie and vampire type films have often dealt with the idea that oh maybe they're just living their life, we're living ours, and we should leave them alone. Um, oh god, what's it called? I think it's called The Last Man on Earth. Vincent Price film, where he um, lives it. It's kind of like a, kind of like a vampire film. He's the last man on earth. He goes out occasionally and he finds them. It's basically I Am Legend. He goes, you know, occasionally mm. finds them and he throws them into this pit of fire uh, to make sure that they've gone. And then basically at the end of the film, you realise, oh, to them, he's the monster. He's the kind of boogeyman who kills them now and then. You know, he's the boogeyman that they would tell their children about. Watch out when you go out because he's going to come around and he might kill you and throw it into this burning pit. And you're right. And it could be an allegory for kind of us and other animals. You know, kind of we hunt other animals and so on, but actually they're just living their life. We're just living our life. And I just thought it would have been more interesting. And and it and it made it into more of an eighties just blockbuster, you know, bug hunt where they're going to set everything on fire. So I think that's. It would have been a much smarter film, a much more interesting ending, if that would have been a realisation she'd had, rather than just, well, I'll just destroy them and make a more satisfying end because yeah, they're all dead. Robo- robots versus aliens, mate, at the end. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. That's a lot. That's more fun, but less interesting <laughs> than something a bit more... With more substance. Fun can be interesting too. Yeah. Well, as they say, everyone's <laughs> everyone's entitled to their wrong opinion. <laughs> um, I don't. Yeah, I can see where your friend Karen's coming from there a little bit. That you know, compared to the first one, like in the first one, there's a bit more of a uh, there's more scientific jargon in it where they talk about how the alien, um, I think the face hugger survives and what it's. Um, Base, like chemical composition is. I don't think it's a, like. I don't think it's that. I don't think when he says it's more stupid that it's that the other one was more sciencey and smarter. I think more just like as a film was smarter. You know, like you can have you can have really stupid, crashy, bangy action films, and you can have really smart ones. Like Fast and the Furious is stupid on purpose. It maybe talks about family a lot, but it's just La familia. Fun. <laughs> La familia, if you like. Um, but it's just fun <laughs> stupidity. Whereas something like. nothing's coming to mind let's say Dark Knight you know it's a comic book superhero movie about a guy who dresses as a bat um, as a vigilante and there are some big crash bang wallopy things but actually it's smarter because it's got a point that it's trying to make and I I assume that's kind of the sort of thing that Kieran's trying to talk about there that it's you know 
it's a bit more Crash Band Wallop, this film. Let's go in, let's destroy them, try not to die, get yeah. away, rather than actually growing or realising things. Yeah. Well, you could argue that Ripley discovers her courage or her parental bond that she lost, and that's that yeah, character's well, like dealing I say, with... I think, de- she's I, dealing with what happened to her. In... And I think that would have made it more interesting if she'd have left the mother with its eggs, because that would have been a logical kind of end of her arc really yeah but she's still gone through this horrific she's still gone through this horrific situation where lots of people she knew have been viciously murdered she still reacts in a, a in a sensible way to these eggs i think i think oh, like, she like does, I said, it's it's not yeah she doesn't make a mistake as a character it's just from a film art point of view it made right. it would have been much more interesting in the same way that like i say ben affleck's character it would have been more interesting if he fell in love again with his wife okay that would have been the stupid thing to do um, i think the other thing as well is that it's like a lot of 80s films and i don't blame them for not being able to tell the future it's weird that they've gone decades or you know more than a century into the future uh, or nearly a century in the future and they've still got basically like bbc computers and vhs uh, style recordings like they're just carrying around video cameras and it's you don't think you don't blame them for not coming up with five megapixel cameras that are handheld but you do think god do they really think that this many years later they'd be that fuzzy a picture and that it'd just be green text on black background it's very close-minded i think that I don't know if that's a criticism, but it's just a funny thing that lots of films from the 70s and 80s, they use basically modern computer technology, but they film fill rooms with them and they fly spaceships, but they're flying spaceships on a, basically a Casio calculator from the, night, from the 80s. Yeah, fair enough. I think it it's a hindsight criticism, isn't it? It's because it's we know now that technology's moved on in that area so much more than what they could have predicted 30 years ago. I get that, but at the same time, Star Trek from the 60s, they didn't have 60s computers. I mean, they had big monitors, big things, but they also had handheld things, and they had technology that couldn't have been done at the time, but they sort of foresaw... I don't know, It's like I say, I'm not blaming them for not seeing the future, but I think they could have been more ambitious with what they thought technology might be like on, an alien, on a spaceship <laughs> 100 years in the future. Yeah, it's got that kind of steampunk vibe to it, hasn't it? Where some mm. things are technologically advanced and others have kind of stalled a little bit. So, And I do yeah, like that, I think you mentioned it as well. You know, it's, blend. It's, it's a dirty, it's not a sterile, everything's perfect future. It's still humans in work environments, in an engineering sort of, you know, environment. It's all dirty and metal. Like, yeah. things are still going to be like that, presumably, in, in decades to come. Okay, so... What was your favourite scene in the film? Tricky, very tricky, I thought, to, to come up with. And I think from a an understanding of character, setting up the film and so on, I really like the scene where Ripley's trying to justify um, blowing up the ship from the first film to the to the sort of board of, you know, 80s... Um, uh, um, what do you call it? Thingy. Technocrat executives. Yeah, those executive types. Um, because... Don- Donald Trump's best mates. Yeah, the Trumps of their time. Because she doesn't sort of just take it lying down. She doesn't give up. She's she's really angry and she's 
she's arguing her point well. And it, it probably wouldn't stand out as most people's favourite scene, but I really liked what it did for the character. Um, I love the bit when she, I love the bit in that where she grabs the paper out of yeah. the insurance guy's hands and he goes and <laughs> she goes, All of this doesn't matter. And I just like the fact that it's that printout paper from the eighties where it's got like the um, the holes down <laughs> the each perforate, side. Perforated it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So satisfying watching that bit. <laughs> yeah. And I mean that's what made it my favourite scene. I don't know why. <laughs> So was there any other scenes that you liked in this film other than that one? I really like the first co- uh, cocoon scene. Cocoon? Cocoon. Cocoon scene. You know, where they're, where they're going there and they realise that they're... Cocoon. cocoon? Sorry, is that what you're trying to say? A different film, uh, that one. Cocoon? Yeah. Yeah, a butterfly goes into a cocoon. I haven't said that word in about three years, so it feels. I think because I've been saying the word cuckoo quite a lot. Cuckoo. Anyway, um, no reason. You don't have to know why. Are you having a stroke? <laughs> it's possible. Um, yeah. So. You burnt toast. <laughs> Is, I, I can, but I am, I am making toast right now. Um, so cocoon scene where they they go and they're like oh you know remember we're we're looking for civvies here and they can't shoot things so there's like you mean where they go into the nest. They go into the nest, <laughs> and you know they they he like lifts the head of the girl, and she's like, um, "Kill me," and then and then another chest burster, and then it's all kicks off, and it's oh, there's fire everywhere and acid and all that sort of stuff, and the alien is hiding on the wall. You can kind of see its exoskeleton thing, but you can't really make it out, and then it moves and it jumps on whoever it jumps on. I, I I thought that was a really effective scene because it's built up so much tension. They've been in the thing thing for, like you say, about 20 minutes, um, and then they go there and, yeah, it all kicks off. Fair enough. I think my actual favourite scene from this film. Um, so, as I said, watching the film again, in my memory, the, f- the scenes that stood out were the bit where they go into the alien nest. And like you said, when it, when it comes out of the wall and it's there all along, and that bit's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, really well done. Um, and the bit at the end, obviously, where she's fighting the alien and, and on the ship and she throws it out the airlock. And, well, that bit's great again. And the bit, obviously, the tension when she goes into the nest to get to... And she manages to uh, rescue Newt. Um, but the scene I really liked, this kind of the second time round watching this again, just the bit when they're in the uh, the medical lab and the facehuggers attack her and Newt. That bit's brilliant. Yes, I that just... was definitely on my list. Yeah, yeah. it's Because you because it, in, in a big, shouty, bangy film, it makes more sense to have just one enclosed, one threat. Her and the little girl, she can't find a gun. And Burke's fucking her over by turning off the CCTV. Yeah, that is brilliant. Yeah, that scene—it's just when it's when the second one escapes its jar and Newt manages to trap it against the its tail against the wall yeah, with the cabinet. Yeah. Hicks throws himself through the window when it's been damaged a bit, so he can get in there quicker. Just oh, it's brilliant, mate! And, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. And the that character scene. of Newt, like everybody knows who's ever played a video game, the worst missions on anything is when you've got to escort somebody who can't do anything, like a little girl or something that's injured. You know those. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Those missions. Yeah, yeah, and. So much slowing you down. So much slowing you down, and they're just like, oh, but I need this, I need that. And I think the great thing about the new character, even though she's this like ten-year-old girl, she's pretty badass. Like, like she said, you know, she's she's survived there for days or weeks um, on her own with no weapons and no training. And the yeah. fact that she does push the push the table to keep it trapped, she doesn't just scream, fall over, and then put everyone at a disadvantage. It was refreshing <laughs> in that sense. Yeah. Well. Speaking of Nuke, shall we get into favourite lines then? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Give us, she give has us some line. of the best lines in this film. <laughs> um, so her, the line that, her, I mean, the one that famously stands out from her is uh, 
when the ship crashes and uh, they're all like stood around and you know Hicks is swearing and you know game over man <laughs> <laughs> I've been saying that for th- 20 years this is it because I'd, I'd heard that a million times and I never knew where yeah. it was from until I don't know a year ago and I heard it was from yeah. this film or I knew it was Bill Paxton saying it and I was waiting for it in this film and actually he says it in the background while somebody else is talking I was amazed that yeah. that's become such a famous quote <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's it's funny because there's a light there's two really famous lines sandwiched together but then the middle of the sandwich is this really crap line from Burke's character <laughs> where he's like let's make a fire and sit around a campfire and it's just so again on the nose it's like that didn't really make sense why would he say that you know <laughs> he's um, a scumbag but yeah but Newt goes we should it's going to be getting dark soon we should be getting back they mostly come out at night mostly <laughs> just oh that she's got a very chills she's got a very spine, um, uh, very posh English accent actually when she gets talking for a couple of lines she's got a weird yeah, so, old fashioned English accent so she was living in England at the time they made this film she was she's American but she her family were living in England so you can hear that kind of cross yeah you know Atlantic accent that she's kind of picked up um, which you know kids often do when they live in True. places for a little period of time it is a sort of English accent, accent that an American would put on to be a posh English person, so it kind of makes sense for it to yeah. be yeah, mid-Atlantic. Yeah, so that's that's the best line of the film. And then there's the obviously the other famous line, which, what's what's your... In fact, I'll ask you your famous lines, favourite lines from this film first. So there's one we've already mentioned, which is the, hey, Vasquez, have you ever been mistaken for a man? No, have you? Um, yeah. And I really like Apun or Apun, when... Um, when they're Apon, yeah. Apon, when he, he has a lot of good lines. He's pretty cool, that guy. And he says, All right, sweethearts, you heard the man and you know the drill. Assholes and elbows. <laughs> I, just, I love the bit. It made no sense, but I loved it. I love the bit where he's like, Another day in the Marine Corps. <laughs> and he's walking down the um, the pods and he's like, Another day in the Marine Corps. Like, another day on the farm. Every meal is a feast. Every payday. What does he say? Every payday is a uh, fortune. And every uh, per- every formation is a parade. <laughs> <laughs> he's great. He's just really, really ironic. Yeah. He's- yeah, he's in. He's actually in the Superman three film, and he's playing like this fire chief directing everyone in this fire. And Superman flies in behind him, and um, so he doesn't see him. He just hears his voice, and he goes, "Oh, what? Hey, chief, what can I do to help you?" And he goes, "And he goes, oh, we've got fire on several floors. Get this man a helmet." And he turns around and goes, "Oh, it's you. Forget the helmet." <laughs> <laughs> he's such a funny character. Yeah, he gets, yeah. It's a shame when that character dies off because. Um, you, you you lose a bit of the fun dialogue, but I think it was kind of necessary for the plot, isn't it, for him? Because he's he's quite a together character. And yeah, I think if he had survived, he would have maybe taken charge a bit more than say, you know, more than say, would have given less space for Ripley to start getting into action because it it's, it's essentially as soon as he dies, she jumps in, doesn't she? Yeah, exactly. And you you do need. You, do, you sometimes need the comic relief and the more assured characters to die for things to really ramp up. It's something that stuck me forever, and I can't quite remember it exactly, but um, doing A-level, I think, or GCSE, and we did Romeo and Juliet, and Mercutio dies. I think it's Act 3, Scene 1, and apparently that's where, like, there's no more jokes. Like, he's the funny character, he dies, and then it becomes a tragedy of a, film, of a play rather than a funny rom-com type thing you know and, and the comedy <laughs> dies with him and yeah I think that's a fair point that it just goes to shit and the guy who's leading them is sweating buckets the whole time and, and completely incompetent yeah yeah and he's 
Yeah, he's, he gets a bit of redemption at the end by sac- you know trying to save Vasquez and all that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, but the other great line, obviously, from this film is when Ripley gets into the power loader and you know the Queen's chasing Newton underneath <laughs> yeah. these grates and just goes, "Get away from her, you bitch!" <laughs> I did find that fight seemed to be very slow, and it took about six minutes. <laughs> like, well, this is it through contemporary eyes. Yeah, scenes like that seem very slow don't mm. they now they seem slow paced because we're so used to fast action cuts where essentially it's just two people kind of at arm's length going Ugh. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah flapping their and hands. not because you, you sort of want the the queen alien to be a bit quicker and more resourceful with its tail and so on. it also made sense of a halloween costume in this tv show i don't know if you've heard of it called community um troy, troy and arbed go as an alien and troy's wearing the the big yellow exo you know power suit thing. power loader power yeah. loader suit um, that made more sense <laughs> retrospectively <laughs> <laughs> so were you just not aware of that bit at all I just assume I mean because it's I've honestly yeah. I've only seen Alien once probably 10 years ago um, so and I really don't know enough about any of these things so I assumed I'd already seen that bit in a, in a whatever <laughs> okay yeah okie dokie right so We're going to have a quick break, and after the break, we're going to get Sam's rating, we're going to get the critics review, and we're going to have a big old quiz. Look forward to it. Welcome back to Please Watch This. So now what we're going to do is we're going to get Sam's overall rating on uh, on Alien. So Sam, out of stay away from her, you bitch, out of 10, <laughs> would you give this film? I think... Doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. I mean, just syntactically, <laughs> but, grammatically, no, there's nothing there that yeah. makes sense, but we'll take, I'll take it. Um, I think on its own merits for what it is, I'm going to give it a 7. 7 out of 10. I found out I was, it was really fun while I was watching it on re-watching it and thinking about it it's not as good a film objectively as all that like in a you know for, for a viewing experience it's a really good really good film but I think to be anything more than a seven it has to be excellent on reviewing and thinking about it and it has to be objectively perfectly done or really well done so seven out of ten it's interesting because you get this perspective of these of this film from a a more mature position than, you know, watching it Speak as a kid yourself. and it being. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like that, it, this was one of the, like, the, almost the trifecta of, you know, 80s action films with like Terminator, Predator and um, Aliens, you know, these three films were kind of, oh, you've got to watch these, you know, you know these what? are just Actually, badass films. Now I think about it. And Terminator 2 as well. I've, uh, I've seen two video essays. I've seen two video essays about Predator. I've never seen Predator. What? Yeah. That's about that. I'm going to re-edit that. What? <laughs> I'm like a human. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You what? Pardon kettle. me, sir. Yeah, I've never Come seen... Come on, you, you what, you what? Never seen Predator. Right, I mean, I've seen Commander 50 times, and I've seen Total Recall 100 times, and Running Man 200 times. Uh, but but never you've seen, seen Predator. Never seen Predator. Yeah. See, I think Predator's going to suffer from 
that hindsight bias. Without having a, a Vietnam War uh, allegory running in the back of my head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, a lot of films from the eighties are Vietnam allegories. This, <laughs> Essentially, lot, yeah. this is very much the heavily, heavily armed American protagonist against some sneaky yeah. rushing about, and there's a little bit of that in here. Yeah. yeah, so I saw a really great video essay. I forget who it's by. Might be nerd writer. Might be any other film YouTube thing. I'll I'll put it on Twitter. Oh, it's worth. It's always worth half telling people what you saw. Yeah, about. I'll put a proper link on Twitter anyway. But um, it was how not to remake, how not to reboot or remake a film uh, series, and it was basically saying why the original Predator was so good, and how the like more recent reboot, twenty fourteen or whatever it was. Um, was uh, just didn't. It was the last. It was twenty. Actually, it was really recent, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, didn't didn't understand. Didn't understand the first film and was just rubbish. And you know, it's amazing because it was written by Shane, written and directed by Shane Black, who wrote some of the scenes for Predator. Wow. So it's not somebody who's not under, who didn't understand the the IP that he was yeah. making. It's one of those ways um, to, to reboot I a film. I mean, I'm sure we'll do this in a future episode. And we'll talk more about this. But you think to reboot a film with a sort of clear allegory you'd probably need to either match that allegory or come up with a new one. So come up with one that matched like the war in Afghanistan or Iraq or something like that. Do you know, like something that's more like nuclear war or something rather than if we're going to have the original was the Vietnam War, maybe this is going to be something else uh, entirely. But anyway, that's for uh, another episode, Predator. Yeah. Um, I think as well, those those films tend to, in the 80s, there's also, I think the, was it? The Americans were involved. Was it Panama or Nicaragua? Jur- Nicaragua. That's it. Yeah, they sent. They were fun. I think they were. There was a whole thing where they were trying to sell weapons. I think to some contras in Nicaragua. That rings a bell. To, so they could overthrow the government there. And then but they did. It was illegal. Overthrow the, <laughs> the overthrow. No, but it was illegal for them to sell these weapons. So the basically the executive arm of the US broke its own laws without realizing it, and then <laughs> yeah, Reagan got into like a load of shit over Things it. I, I'd have to, I'd have to do. We're going to do Predators now. Yeah, Predator now that Definitely. I know that you haven't Definitely. haven't seen it. It'll be hard not to them. spoil it because because with that video essay, I, I just assumed you'd seen it. It's one of those that I, I did as well a bit. You know, you you just got this like you know we're we're from sort of families and backgrounds like probably most people where you watch a thousand films. You know, it's just presumably that's still the case now but you know it was it was VHSs and we'd go around friends houses and watch VHSs and or you'd, you'd only have you'd only own 50 films and you couldn't really get them on demand or anything so you'd watch all of those films um, and it just it's just one of those things it just wasn't wasn't on the uh, bookcase fair enough just before we do the critics review yeah. I just want to um, give you a bit of flavour of the uh, making of this film oh yes because uh, yeah. it's got a, quite an interesting backstory um so essentially what was happening was James Cameron, he came to the UK to make this film and he wasn't used to the working practices of British film crews. <laughs> so they would pretty much every hour or so stop for a tea break. They were entitled under union laws for um, lunch breaks and tea breaks. Um, so they, there was nothing he could do about it. Uh, on a Friday, uh, they would collect for a raffle and James Cameron um, apparently shouted at somebody in somebody's face, go the fuck away when the person asked <laughs> uh, if he wanted to buy a raffle ticket. That's just not cricket, um, is it? No. One of these, so this this um, tea break was becoming such a problem that uh, one of the American crew tried to sabotage the tea trolley. <laughs> yeah. so That's how you get a revolution, that. 
Yeah, it, yeah. quite literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah, um, but it was quickly repaired. So the reason the crew weren't kind of working for him properly was the um, the assistant director, uh, a man called um, Derek Cracknell. He didn't think that Cameron had cut his chops enough in Hollywood and he'd worked with Ridley Scott and the crew had worked with... I think maybe Cracknell might not have worked with Ridley Scott, but the others had. So they were like, well, who's this young upstart Canadian coming in trying to make a film on, essentially by this point, hallowed ground? Um, So James Cameron basically went, look, if you don't get on board with what's going on here, I'm going, you know, you can... You can do one, basically. <laughs> and he did. And he had to hire somebody else. Oh. Um, and also, it wasn't just his... Um, it wasn't just his assistant director who was trying to tank the project. His original um, director of photography, a man by the exquisitely named Dick Bush. <laughs> Let's just thank the universe for a man that who was incredible. so... Ironic, he named he was called Richard Bush, and went, no, my nickname is Dick. <laughs> um, yeah, he wanted so he was a successful, you know, director of photography. Yeah, you know, I've actually heard of Dick Bush before this. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's one of those names that would travel. I was at school with a, a lovely boy called Will Stiff, who had a brother called Richard. Um, oh Jesus, uh, even just, Will's pretty bad because yeah, you call him Willie Stiff. Willie Stiff, that's that was what people call him, and he, you know, he yeah. was really good at cricket, so. He wasn't bullied, but, you know, he should have been with that name. <laughs> he should have been. <laughs> <laughs> if there's any justice in the world. Uh, <laughs> so, Dick Bush, yes. <laughs> I mean, what? Um, oh, God. So, yeah. So, he had, so I he assume he had no trouble getting his, um, oh, what do they call it? You know, when you've got a, when you work in filmmaking, your card. Equity card. Oh, your equity card. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there weren't too many out there. I've got to be Dick J. Bush. for actors, isn't it? Yeah. I think equity. I think it's all filmmakers. No, I think it's just I think it's just actors, but it's not a thing anymore, so it doesn't matter. Who cares? Oh, is it? Um, oh, fair enough. Right, okay. Yeah. So yeah, so basically, he fired Dick Bush, he fired the assistant director, got new people on board. There was kind of a, there was an uneasy piece by the end of it because essentially he was on an about an eighty day uh, filming budget, you know, to get principal photography done. Wow. Um, and so there's a great story. So on the seventy fifth day of, uh, you know. I think this is basically like the last day of filming. Uh, Cameron gave a speech to the crew. Now, when you've made, when you've gone through a tough process, and the man who's helming this stands up to do a speech, you would expect, you know, we've begrudging respect, and we, by God, we've managed to make this film. Well done, everyone. You know, let's all move on from here. That's what you'd expect, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to know what James Cameron actually said? <laughs> Was it something a bit more obnoxious? What do you think? (laughs) So he said, I hate you all and making this movie has been a nightmare from start to finish. The only thing that has kept me going is knowing that when this movie is finished, I can leave and never come back. And that that you will all be stuck here. Oh God. And I think I'm right in saying he didn't, he didn't direct the third one. Was that Dave Fincher or someone? Yeah, it was. And he famously had a big fight with his studio over it, didn't he? Again. It's funny, mean, it's funny when you watch a, a finished film and you go, especially a film that you know caused so many problems, like let's say Apocalypse Now, and you go, yeah, because there's a lot of ambitious scenes in there, but like it's weird that so much tension and you know heart attacks and suicide attempts were linked with these films. Uh, it's hard to imagine it as a viewer just watching a finished yeah. product. I mean, when they were making this film, 
they tried to show the crew the Terminator because it hadn't come out in the UK yet. Right. So they were like, because they were like, what's this guy doing? And he was like, look, I know how to make film. <laughs> yeah. Here's a film I know I haven't I've just proved made. myself yet, but here's some proof. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, like the original Dick Bush wanted to light, you know, the scene in the nest with big spotlights, you know, big 80,000 oh, yeah. lumen spotlights. That would have like so 80s. Instead of the small little torches, which gave the scene so much atmosphere. Yeah. Absolutely brilliantly funny. I mean, my favourite um, uh, Cameron story is uh, when his ex-wife, um, Catherine Bigelow, who's a famous film director mm, in her own yeah. right, basically questioned him on um, his poor fathering practices, i.e. he wasn't home enough to be a father he to his kids. He wasn't a father, <laughs> right. He <laughs> shouted at her something along the lines of, anyone can be a father, but nobody can do what I do. Oh, God. So ex-husband, you say, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. He was actually... Um, he was he was married to the producer of this film at the time, right? And then they divorced. He then married Catherine Bigelow. They divorced, and then at one point he was married to Linda Hamilton. I didn't know that. No, I didn't either. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah, but and then yeah, so he had like three. He had four marriages up before the year two thousand, and then he met somebody in like two thousand and has been married since. So yeah, yeah, he's been he searching did. for the one. Yeah, but. Yeah, so that's so that's interesting stuff. I felt. Would you like to hear some stuff about the, what the critics made of this film? Love to hear. Yeah, have you got any uh, contemporary of the time? I do. There, I've got two contemporary Brilliant. critics. So I've got our old mate, old Roggy Roggy oh, Bird. Rog. We've not heard Snoop Roggy Rog. Tell us about Roggy. Notorious R O G E R E. Absolutely. <laughs> we need to do more pre twenty thirteen films to get Rog on. Yes. So. Roger Ebert on uh, Aliens. The ads for Aliens claim that this movie will frighten you, as few movies have, and for once, the ads don't lie. The movie is so intense that it creates a problem for me as a reviewer. Do I praise its craftsmanship, or do I tell you it left me feeling wrung out and unhappy? (laughs) It has been a week since I saw it, so the emotions have faded a little, leaving me with an with leaving me with appreciation of the movie's technical qualities but when i walk out when i walked out of the theater there were knots in my stomach from the film's roller coaster ride wow of violence this is not the kind of movie where it means anything to say you enjoyed it so he <laughs> gave it how many stars do you think he gave that it that sounds like a 3 out of 4 yeah you're there you're there thereabouts three and a half stars yeah four. I mean, I'm in the right um, ballpark um, yeah I mean it is it is I, I get that I, I totally do I mean it's just reminded me of my favourite shot of the film and that's when Newt is in the water and the alien rises up behind her that's that really stands up as a visual effect it's not it doesn't look like there's strings involved or anything like that and it you know, and, and Ripley saying, no, you don't die, you don't die. You know, there's that tension and there's great effects. It kind of encapsulates a lot of that, I think. Hmm. Um, so I've got a review here from Ian Nathan in Empire magazine. Now, it says on the website that this was written in 1986. So we're gonna, I'm going to take it as read that this is actually a review from the time. Okay. Maybe when Empire was a legitimate re- movie review. <laughs> Before it oh, gave, gave Looper five stars, right? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, and made Mad Max Fury Road the best film in the last 20 oh, years. Yeah. It's a very good film, but it's not the best of the last 20 years. It's even the best film of that year. <laughs> I don't get why people like it. You tried to explain this to me. Look, I don't want to get into it, but I, I, not di- I don't dislike that film, but I don't get why everyone loves it so much. Did you watch it in the cinema? 
I didn't know. Well, there you go. But it doesn't make a difference. If it's so good, it would translate. Star Wars is shite. <laughs> Sorry, I've not said it in a few weeks. Uh, yeah, so you... Opinions are funny things, aren't they? You know. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So um, he says, Aliens is the perfect sequel. The Empire Strikes Back, which certainly, while a better film than Star Wars, <laughs> was more a polished segment in a longer story than a standalone adventure. But Aliens is the model for every potential sequel maker. It connects irrefutably with the events of the original, even to the point of... Uh, starting exactly where the drama left off, albeit 57 years later. Yeah, you've got to feel for Ripley. She's gone from that, basically after a day, into this. (laughs) Mm. You know, the continuity there is crazy. And it expands on all the ideas and themes while simultaneously differentiating itself. The same, yet entirely different. Perfect. The feminist subtext is hardly sub at all. Ripley is one of the strongest female characters in movie history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's not a political message she's a woman and that's and she's doing the sort of thing that Arnold Schwarzenegger do or like a, a male lead would do in this film and it's but it's not trying to rub it in your face I think no she's just acting naturally isn't she for that character yeah. to do these things which you know there's no point where she's this uh, there's little character moments though I do like with her that you can see that she's suffering from PTSD where I think somebody comes up behind her and touches her yeah that's right yeah. like and she jumps, yeah. And it's so subtle that you don't really notice it. And then I, I went back and went, "Oh look, yeah, she just jumped there." It's not a jump scare moment. She just, well, yeah, she was scared. She's highly was, tense. So was it? Yeah. Um, it might. This is why I don't be... think. This is why I disagree with Kieran a little bit because I don't think it's as dumb as we've kind of in our minds thought it to be. It's, but maybe that's just and maybe just relative to the original. Yeah, and she's brilliant. And was it Ripley? It was somebody. Oh God, this is a, such a half foggy, forgotten memory. But somebody was making a film, and it was supposed to have a, few, a male protagonist, and then they just said, "Well, let's just make it a woman, but don't change anything." Oh right, no. So in the original script, Ripley was meant to be a man. That's right. But it yeah, was never, I've read that it was never defined as a man. Yeah. So there was they nothing just you could, you could cast, put a woman in that. Yeah. Yeah, which is the way cast, to do it, uh, isn't it? It's not to say we're going to make this a woman, so it's going to be about a female empowerment. It's just this yeah. is just happens to be a character who is a woman. Yeah, yeah, it's that was really it. good for that. Yeah, apparently she turned up to uh, the addition for that in uh, thigh high boots <laughs> and like some really tight clothes and a low slung top uh, uh, to basically like try and uh, <laughs> try and <laughs> internalize misogyny. Yeah, yeah, to um, lure yeah. the filmmakers in. She's obviously a beautiful Ridley woman. Scott just went. <laughs> yeah, they cast her there and then apparently. <laughs> but you know, she's she really she's got sweat marks and she's not wearing look at anything. I mean, she doesn't ever wear a bra and she's occasionally in her underwear. But it's not like that. It's not like a Michael Bay leering there, kind of. Kind there is of a lot of eighties androgyny going on, though, isn't there in this film? A little, yeah. Bit. But I think you've got to, you got to forgive it that in the sense that it made Ripley this badass character who doesn't wear. Oh yeah. Who doesn't obviously wear makeup? Do you know what I mean? Obviously, she's wearing makeup because it's a film, but she's not dolled up. Yeah, I mean, like the hair is a little. All the hair is a little bit too quaffed in certain scenes. Only, but I noticed that because I've watched it a few times. At the yeah. time, you just. It's like, you know, that we were saying the other week, was it last week or the week before? It's like, you know, if they're looking at your hair, you're not doing your job yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Um, and I've got one more review here. This was from 2012. Okay. So, you know, people have had a chance to uh, ruminate on it. Yeah. Um, this is from Brian Eggert at deepfocusreview.com. Which is a bit like so, Roger Ebert as a name. Yeah, I mean, he certainly 
thought that he would channel the, <laughs> the old master's uh, writing style. Mm. So he just says, Cameron delivers an epic actionized war thriller rather than a horror film and effectively changes the genre from the first film to the second to suit the demands of his narrative and personal style. And I think that's a great way to sum up this film. And he gave it uh, four stars out of four. That's where you could see he was definitely going to channel Ebert. <laughs> I'll be called Egbert and I'll give it stars out of four. Yeah, that's no, good. Egbert. Well, Egbert. You know, he's trying to hide that Egbert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Good. So the critics liked it. Um, that's it. It's it's just a really good film. It's hard to dislike anything about it because it's it's really good. It's really well made. The effects are actually fantastic for the time. Um, it's a lot of fun and. Anything that you dislike about it, you know that it would. It's heart is in the right place. If you if you know what I mean, it's you know it's not a it's not a cynical film or anything like that. Um, I, oh, I would say I'd say it's quite cynical. Well, it's a very cynic. It's, it's a very cynical, cynical view on human nature and yeah, corporations yeah. and. But it's not and... cynically made. You, you, no, you know that the people who made it, their heart is in the right place because they're making they're cynical except about the, bad things. Except all the crew <laughs> when they made it at the time. Yeah, it's amazing yeah. what you can do though, even when people aren't working with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's that, a testament yeah. to James Cameron's determination. I would argue. Absolutely. Right. So let's quiz it up. now that we've done all that, let's have a quiz. Now I've got a question for you. Oh. Would you like your quiz to be five questions or seven? Seven, always seven. Okay. So, question one. What was the name of the ship that Ripley was on when she was found in outer space? <laughs> it was the Nostromo. It was. Well done. That was one of those things I knew I had to commit to memory. <laughs> nice. Well, well done. That's great. Okay. What is the name of the planet that they are on? LV426. Well done. Hey. Uh what is the name, question three, what is the name that Ripley works for? The name that Ripley works for? What is the name of the company that oh, Ripley company. works for? Um, <laughs> that I don't know. I have mentioned it. Yeah. It is... It is, is it a proper uh, 80s? It is. is it like uh, Cybercorp? Yes. <laughs> um, Techcorp? It's... It, it's not that eighties, but it's kind of like if you know when companies aren't named these generic Power things, they're, <laughs> they're named after like an amalgamation of like people's names and things like that. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, it's the Wayland Utani Corporation. Uh, okay, yeah, I wouldn't know that. So it was back in the eighties or the seventies when everyone thought that hey, it's all Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone's going to be Japanese in the future. So there's the Utani part of it. Um, so, what Disney princess does Vasquez call Ripley? Oh, when you, so they wake up. Oh, it, Vas- it must be Snow White. It is well yes. done. So here's a fun fact. Um, so since Fox got bought out by uh, Disney, uh, it turns out that the Queen in uh, in the you know in Aliens is now a Disney princess. Just, just <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Right, let's see how well you are on pop culture. It is mentioned in this film. So question five. So far, you've got uh, three out of four. So can you make it almost a clean sweep? What are the titular aliens' designated name? Uh, Oh, the Xenomorphs. They are. Well done. See, this film is so reminiscent of um, Polymorph from Red Dwarf. Uh, So a lot of it... I recognise a lot of it because Red Dwarf's Polymorph episode... 
uh, parodies this so well. Uh, so, do you want to know a fun fact as well about uh, this film? So, because you didn't see the uh, director's cut, there's a scene, there's a couple of scenes on um, on LV426 uh, when the colonists are there. Um, so you see like New and a brother and her parents and you also see like the commander of this station and it's the captain from Red Dwarf no it is yeah I didn't I was the same as you I was like <laughs> what the same actor Wait, what? <laughs> yeah same actor just a few yeah. years ago <laughs> that's amazing yeah yeah he has a little scene where he sends the guy out to the sector where the ship is and he's like, you know, I, what's on there? And he's like, you know what? I didn't ask. You know why I didn't ask? Because they always say don't ask. <laughs> that <laughs> is a real, like, that's quite a good impression working man's totally just, God, will you just do a thing? <laughs> say again, sorry? That, that was quite saying. a good impression in the sense that I can totally picture the actor saying that. What's his name? Dustin something or... I can't, I can't, remember. I can't remember his name. Yeah. yeah. But he's... Yeah, it's weird to see him in just a normal kind of dramatic role yeah that's not comedy Captain Holster so question five sorry question six question six so name five of the marines there's ten in total Hudson Hicks yes Apon yep Vasquez I'll give you that yeah yep just one more Drake yep that'll do nice that's five well done so the other ones Bishop would be the artificial human Um, is he a marine though is he actually in the marines uh, no because I I didn't class him as so also Spunkmeyer (laughs) (laughs) yes which I was watching him on subtitles and I thought there's no way (laughs) he's got Spunkmeyer (laughs) Uh, there's got then there's Gorman Um, there is and then is that you've got one, two, three left to guess. Gosh. Um, if you don't get it, it's fine. No, I don't, Let's I not don't labor know. the point. So there was uh, Frost, Pharaoh, uh, and Dietrich. Of course, yeah. So Dietrich is the lass who dies um, in the nest. Frost is the, the guy who gets set on fire. And Pharaoh is the. F- um, she's the girl who flies the uh, ship. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, rightio. So this is more of a bonus question that's not entirely linked to the film. It's not in film um, entirely because it was just something I, in my research I found out. So which author links both the Nostromo and the Salako together? Huh. If you get this, um, I'm going to write to Mensa. <laughs> well, it's one of three, I'd say. Um, I'll say it's Okay, why three? That's I mean, of all the authors in the world. So, are you ruling out J.K. Rowling? Yeah, <laughs> she's she's <laughs> fourth. Um, H.G. Wells. No. Jules Verne. No, it's around that time though. You're in the right ballpark. In the right, okay, right, okay. So that's, yeah, you're in the right century. Um, oh, there's one other. Oh, there's one other in that area. Um. There's hundreds in that area. No, there's one other name. So the other ones who kind of are in that are in that sort of realm are like Asimov and Philip K. Dick and Michael Crichton. There's one other. No, it's not. It's, that, it's not of, sci-fi. It's, right. I, I've got I've got a big clue I could give you, and I don't want to give it to you because you'll get it straight away. Um, Dickens. <laughs> no, no although it's not a bad guess. <laughs> Jane Austen. Go on. What, what is it? It's uh, Joseph Conrad. Old Conrad, right of the yeah, uh, the right heart, of, heart of darkness. darkness. Yeah. yeah, so he wrote a book called um, called Nostromo, and the uh, it's set in like a fictional South American country, and the port in that's called the Salaco. Oh, that's great! I mean, I honestly haven't read any Joseph Conrad, so that'll be for our sister podcast that has yet to be formulated. Please, please read this. Maybe I'll get on there. 
Yeah. So cool. you managed to get five out of seven. So well done. Pretty good. And one of I'll those was it. a pretty impossible question. Literally impossible, well. yeah. You either knew it or you didn't with that one. Yeah. Um, so that was uh, Aliens. Did you Aliens. Have fun with it? Glad I saw it. Glad I saw it. Yeah, it's amazing you never saw it. It is. It's weird. But that's what this search show is all about. There's no judgment yeah. about not seeing films you should have seen. That's how we remember it. Tiny bit of judgment, listeners. <laughs> Tiny bit of judgment every week. Um, so that brings us to what we're going to watch next week. What we're going to watch next week is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, the absolute classic that Hugh hasn't seen. No judgment here. Hugh, what do you know about the Butch Cassidy's and the Sundance of the Kids? He's totally judging me there, listeners. <laughs> um... Not a great deal, actually, to be brutally honest. Uh, I know Robert Redford's in it. I think he plays uh, the Sundance Kid, and I know that he named his um, his festival after it. Good. Good that's knowledge. About, that's genuinely as much as I know. It's a Western. I'm, I'm glad you don't know anything else. Yeah, I'm glad you know yeah. So we will, um, uh, schedules permitting, have our good friend Ben back for his fourth episode um, I th- believe he was the person fourth? who introduced me to it. I think it's his fourth. The Shining, Midsummer. And um, what else did he do? It's a, not relevant. This might be his fourth attempt. Let's just say it is. <laughs> yeah. no I'm going to think he'll, about that in the background while I ask Hugh. Hugh, if our listeners want to get in touch with us, how can they do that? So what they need to do is they need to get themselves onto uh, a spaceship, get frozen in time for about fifty-seven years. <laughs> easy, done. Easy, yeah. So that's the easy part of the easy bit out of the way. They then need to uh, get sent to a colony on a desolate planet somewhere that's right, being done. terraformed yeah again th- this is the easy bit the hard <laughs> bit is they need to write an email and get it sent to us and in the future we will respond to it in about 60 years from now right okay is that gonna be all right is that straightforward yeah, yeah, right. Pretty, I mean, you're telling me you couldn't do that? I mean, Elon they, Musk is clearly getting his way to Mars at some point. If they the are going to send years. us an email... Oh, Blade Runner 2049. Ben was on for Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, so let's say the yeah. listener does go through all that and then... Many I'm glad you stopped your train of thought there just to answer your own question from earlier. And if they did email us, what email address should they use? So if they want to get in touch with us, they need to email us at pleasewatchthis.pod at gmail.com. Fantastic. Sam, if they want to contact us on social media, how would they, they do can. that? Um, we're very active on Twitter. We are at Please Watch Pod. We are somewhat active on Facebook at Please Watch Pod. We are inactive on Reddit currently at um, Please Watch This Podcast is the subreddit. And we're, we're on the YouTube, so I think probably the best would be comment on YouTube, get in touch on Twitter. Yep, sounds about right. Like well, us on Facebook. Yes, please do, because uh, I don't know, it makes me feel better. Makes me feel a million times better. It's social proof, it. isn't it? It's it really is. Yeah, it's what validation you want for your whole existence. Well, right, Hugh, so. it's been a blast. We've talked about a fun film that I'd never seen, and I thank you for that. And next week, you can thank me for introducing you to a great film. Yeah, if looking you want. forward to it. Cool. All right. Well, uh, podcasters, we love you, and we'll talk to you next week. See we'll you talk next week. at you next week. Talk at you next week. Anyway, bye. bye.